Go ahead and grab a seat. So there's a friend of mine who found himself in a rather awkward situation not too long ago. But before we get there, you'll need to know a little bit more about his story in order to better be prepared for what's about to go down. All right. So like many of us in this room, this guy was involved with church growing up. I mean, every single time the doors were open, this guy was there. And so he grew up being involved with church as a kid, as a teenager, and even was still involved when he got to college. In fact, it was in college where God really, at least it was in college where he felt like God really began to tug at his life and really began to press on him to do something more. And so he spent a lot of time praying about this, spent a lot of time thinking about this, and he was convinced that God wanted him to pursue a life as a pastor. Now, unfortunately, there are some people who were close to him who were trying to discourage him from doing this because this guy is brilliant. And when I say brilliant, I mean only missed one question on the SAT brilliant. And so his friends were saying, hey, look, I think you need to think about something else because you can literally do whatever you want to with your life. And you can make as much money as you desire in whatever career that you choose. What was amazing to me is that this guy did not pay attention to them. In fact, he wouldn't even have a conversation with them about this. Because he said, I'd rather pursue God's calling in my life than to have a career making a whole lot of money. And so if you knew this guy and he told you that, that he wanted to be a pastor, you would not be surprised at all. Because one thing that stands out about this guy is how much he loves to help people. I mean, he was that guy in college that everybody came to when they wanted to know advice. I mean, it didn't matter what it was. If you wanted help with something, you came to this guy. I mean, if you wanted to know how to handle a breakup, you went to this guy. If you wanted to know whether or not you should switch majors, you went to this guy. I mean, even if you were freaking out because you got a parking ticket on campus and you weren't sure how to tell your parents, you'd go to this guy. And the reason that people would always go to him is because there was something about the calmness of his voice and the confidence that he had in God's control over your life that when he would talk to you, the weight of the anxiety of your situation would just melt away. And so after this guy got done with college and he continued to kind of pursue a life as a pastor, he decided to go to seminary. And so he went there, and not only did he get his master's, but he also got his doctorate degree when he was there. And one thing that this guy did when he was there, for fun, I guess you could say, is he would memorize books of the Bible. Right? Not chapters, right? Not paragraphs, not verses. He would memorize entire books of the Bible. And as somebody who has a seminary degree, I promise you, that's not required. That's definitely not required. Right? But this guy would spend all of this time memorizing scripture. And when you would ask him why, right? why do you do this? Why do you spend all your time doing this? He would always give the same answer. He would say, the hours that I spend memorizing scripture is totally worth it for that brief moment. That brief moment when I see the tears on somebody's face dry up because I get to tell them that perfect verse 
that verse that they needed to hear so bad in that moment because they could finally get some kind of hope when their heart had been hurting for so long. And so to him, it was worth those conversations to spend all that time memorizing scripture. So eventually he graduates with his degrees. Um, he can't find a church at first. He searches for some, puts in a couple applications, gets a couple interviews. They say, thank you, next. And he kind of moves on. But eventually he gets uh, the small church. He becomes a pastor of the small church. And when he gets there, he just does what he does best. He just pours into people's lives. I mean, just pours into them. And his, I mean, his deep desire for these people to know God and his deep desire for these people to love God was seen in every single thing that he did. And so eventually people start seeing this. They start seeing this guy's heart. And so people just start flocking to his church. And eventually his church becomes massive. I mean, it's huge. And so because his church is growing, obviously the ministries inside his church are growing, one of those being the youth. And so there's this local guy who comes up to him about being the possible youth pastor, and this is when this story gets so interesting. So this guy, he comes up to my friend. Unlike my friend, he doesn't have any type of formal education. He's got a college degree, but he hasn't been to seminary or any kind of Bible college. Uh, really doesn't have any type of ministry experience either. Um, this would be his, his first full-time ministry job. But my friend said, you know what? I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a gamble, right? You seem like a nice guy. I'm going to hire you and just kind of see what happens. And it appeared to be a really good choice, right? It seemed to be a really good call because after just a few months of this youth pastor being there, the youth group starts to see some, some awesome things happening. I mean, this guy's really innovative. He's really creative. He kind of has a unique ministry style, but he has a huge heart to reach people outside the church, so he's pursuing them. He sets up this kind of leadership program of different students, about a dozen or so students, to help him lead this ministry. And he's really just starting to see some good things happening. But because his, his ministry style right, is a little bit unorthodox, he, some people in the area didn't really like the way that he was doing things. But my friend was like, look, man, you're doing a good job. I think it's fine. We're just going to continue with this. And so about a year comes around, and things are still going great. You know, he's, he's doing a good, good job for somebody, you know, with, with his experience. And so my friend said, hey, let's go out for lunch. Let's celebrate what God is doing. And let's just, you know, let's just talk. Let me find out what you're doing, why things have been so successful and stuff like that. So one day they grab lunch together. They're eating. They're having small talk and stuff like that. And my friend eventually says, hey, so obviously, man, we're seeing some awesome stuff happen in the youth group, right? I mean, it's growing, right? We're getting solid discipleship. That's taking place here. And what I'm hoping is sometime soon we're going to be able to move you guys into a different room. And you are, you know, clearly based upon what's happening, God is working in you and God is working through you. And so, bro, keep it up, man. Keep, keep killing it. And so right after, though, my friend says this, this guy who's still eating his lunch during this looks up at him between a bite and says, you don't get it. So, obviously, uh, my friend was a little bit thrown off by that, a little bit confused about what this guy was, was talking about. And so he kind of looks at him for a second, kind of stares, and really halfway laughing is like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And at this point, the guy puts down his fork. He stops eating. And he leans back in his chair, and he looks at my, my friend. He says, look, I've been watching you the entire time I've been here. And when I see you, I see something. I see it when you preach, 
I see it when you lead people, and I even see it when you try to speak truth and give people advice. And this is what I see when I look at you. I see somebody who doesn't know how to be a pastor. I see somebody who isn't qualified to lead this church. And I'll be honest, man, unless some kind of dramatic change happens in your life, man, you're going to fail miserably at this job. So like I said, you don't get it. I mean, just imagine if you are my friend in this moment. I mean, what would be going through your head right now? I mean, what would you want to say to this Mr. Nobody, right, who acts like he knows everything and that you're clueless and know nothing? Right, this youth pastor who seems to have everything figured out, even though you're the one who's leading this massive church. And that clearly he's the one who's educated, even though you're the one who has all the degrees. I mean, in that moment, how would you feel if you were sitting there hearing this guy say this to you? How would you feel? I want you to take that feeling, and I want you to hold on to that. Because here's the thing. That person, my friend, actually isn't my friend at all. Instead, I came up with this guy and this story in order to help every single one of us in this room see the Pharisee in our passage from a new and fresh perspective. Because as we've talked about every single week, Whenever we read about the Pharisees in the New Testament, we automatically assume they're the bad guys. We automatically look at them as the villains. But what we have to remember is this isn't how they would have viewed themselves. Instead, these were the guys who gave up everything in order to pursue a calling in their life. I mean, these were the guys that people came to because they gave such good advice. And these were the guys who were memorized entire portions of scripture, who were learned theology so that they could help other people know God better. And so tonight, when we look at this passage and we talk about a Pharisee named Nicodemus, this is what I want us to do. I don't want us to automatically assume that he's the bad guy. I don't want us to automatically assume that he's the villain. Instead, when we talk about Nicodemus, what I want you to do is I want you to think about my friend. I want you to think about, think about this guy who was, tr- who was trying to pursue God's path for his life. And he's wanting to help other people know God better along the way. And so the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight is John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up and turn them on. To John chapter 3. Now, we don't know a lot about Nicodemus's past, and by not a lot, we really don't know anything. But we can assume it was similar to my friend's past, except in a first century context. And so what I want us to do is I want us to read this passage about Nicodemus. And I want to look at it through his perspective. Again, not as the villain, but look at it through the perspective of the guy who's trying to pursue God with his life. And so we're going to read John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. So if you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the verses on the screen. Feel free to follow along with us there. But let's go through this passage together. Let's see what God can teach us tonight about the Pharisee inside of us. 
So let's begin reading in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, what we also learn about Nicodemus is he was a part of this ruling council, something called the Sanhedrin. Now this would have been a huge deal for someone to be on the Sanhedrin. Because this was like the Supreme Court of Jerusalem in this day. But see, not only did they give legal advice, but they also gave spiritual advice. When people had spiritual questions, spiritual problems, spiritual dilemmas, they would come to these guys. And they were the ruling authority in that. And so based upon what we just see here, we can tell that Nicodemus is like my friend, right? He is educated, he is brilliant, and he is informed in the ways of God. And so in the middle of Nicodemus doing his thing, he decides that he wants to have a conversation with this guy named Jesus. This guy who at this point's ministry is just kind of starting off. He's starting to see some success. He's starting to see some followers. But he's very new to this whole game. And so Jesus and Nicodemus have this conversation. This is what Nicodemus says to him in verse 2. It says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus, right, and he gives him a compliment. In fact, what he does here is he calls Jesus rabbi. And the fact that Jesus has no type of formal education, I can only imagine this must have been a huge compliment coming from a guy like Nicodemus, who's this famous Pharisee. And then what Nicodemus says next shows us why he gives Jesus this compliment. Because he tells Jesus, based upon all the stuff that he's done, we can clearly tell that you have a connection with God. Right? Based upon those miracles that you've done, like turning water into wine, we can tell that you know and have a relationship with God. He's telling him, based upon what you're doing, I can tell that God is working through you and that God is working in you. And so Nicodemus believed that Jesus was legit. He believed that he was somebody who had this real connection with God. And so he's wanting to come and have this conversation with Jesus. And then Jesus decides to respond with something that would have totally caught Nicodemus off guard. Because this is what Jesus says in the next verse. It says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Right? Because that's clearly, clearly what they were talking about, right? Clearly that's what the conversation was about. Right? Jesus just jumps into this statement, and then Nicodemus says, well, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And so Nicodemus is just trying to give a brother a compliment. He's out here throwing out a riddle, you know? And so Nicodemus, you know, here's the statement, and then what Jesus says with it basically is unless somebody experiences a rebirth, they cannot enter into God's kingdom. And for very obvious reasons, Nicodemus has really no idea what Jesus is talking about. He is struggling to kind of grasp what's happening because he just assumes that Jesus is talking about something literal. And so what I can imagine in a semi-sarcastic way, he responds back to Jesus and is like, yeah, bro, I don't, I don't think that's how that works. I'm not sure if that's even physically possible for something like that to happen. But Jesus doesn't allow the confusion of Nicodemus to throw him off. And so listen to what he says to him in the next verse. 
Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you shall be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So there's a lot happening here, right? This is, honestly, this is how I envision and how I see this conversation between these two guys. Nicodemus walks up to Jesus. Jesus says something random. Hey, people need to be born two times. Nicodemus says, what? And Jesus says, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I said. Right? I mean, that's, like, that's what I feel like is happening in this passage, right? And they just continue to talk. This just continues to go on. But obviously, there is something important that's happening here, right? Jesus is saying something very significant. Because what Jesus is saying in this very poetic and even riddle-like way is that unless somebody experiences a spiritual rebirth, they can't come into God's kingdom. Unless somebody is totally transformed, unless they are completely changed, they can't enter into God's kingdom. And we know that the way that somebody experiences this transformation is when they choose to follow after Jesus. But even in the middle of Jesus saying this, he decides to call out Nicodemus. And he points out that Nicodemus still needs this spiritual transformation in his life, right? Because he says to him, you should not be surprised. I'm saying you must be born again. And so he is telling Nicodemus that he needs to experience this change in his life as well. And how you felt when I got done telling you that story is how I believe Nicodemus felt when he realized what Jesus was saying to him here. When he realized that Jesus, this Mr. Nobody, this person who has no type a formal education. This person who was just starting out his ministry is telling him, Nicodemus, somebody who is highly educated, somebody who has been spending his entire life living for God and apparently is doing it pretty well because he's one of the most important people in Jerusalem as he rules on this council. Because what we see happening here is in a very artistic yet confusing way what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is you don't get it. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is even though you've memorized so much scripture and you know so much of God's word, you don't get it. Even though people come to you for spiritual advice on how to handle their problems, you don't get it. And even though you feel like you've dedicated your entire life to pursue this calling that God has given you, you don't get it. And what Jesus is saying here is the reason that Nicodemus doesn't get it is because Nicodemus has been informed about Jesus, but he's never been transformed by him. Nicodemus knows all the stuff that Jesus has done. He knows all the miracles that Jesus has performed, but he's never taken the step of his life to follow after Jesus. He's never taken that step 
to be his disciple. And so what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus is although you think you get it, you actually don't. And Nicodemus could have easily been offended at what Jesus is saying here, right? Easily, he could have been very upset with how Jesus was calling him out. But the reality is, as we know, Jesus was right. Nicodemus still needed to experience this transformation in his life. And if Jesus was right about Nicodemus, he could also be right about some people, or rather some of us, in this room tonight. Because even today, there are people like Nicodemus. People who think they get it, but they actually don't. Because it's amazing. When I hear different stories from different people, it's this pattern that I see time and time again in these stories. Right? Because when they tell me about their journey, what they say is that, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't know who Jesus was. And I don't remember a time in my life where I wasn't learning about how he fed 5,000 people, how he walked on water, and how he did all these things like raise people from the dead. But then one time at church, or maybe even a church camp, there was somebody who told me that I needed Jesus. They told me that I was a sinner, but that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he went to a cross and died a sacrificial death, and then he rose from the dead. And he did that so that I could be forgiven, so that I could know him. And then when this person got done telling me all this information, they were like, okay, so, so you got it? Okay, cool. Right, so now that you know this, right, now that you believe this is true, say a prayer. And so I said a prayer asking Jesus into my heart. And then I got back home or I went back to church and they said, okay, now this is how you be a Christian, right? You read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you get plugged in. And I was even a part of the youth and even I became a youth leader. But then... After years and years of just going through the motion, I finally realized that just because I said that prayer and just because I did those things, that didn't make me a Christian. I realized that even though I thought I got it, I actually didn't. And the reason that this happens in so many people's lives because we assume because that we've been informed about Jesus that we've also been transformed by him. We equate knowing of Jesus to actually knowing Jesus. And it's so hard for us to distinguish between the two because if you ask somebody, do you believe in Jesus? If you were to ask these people that, they would have said, yes, of course I believe in Jesus. And then they would have told you facts, reasons why they believe in Jesus. Because I believe he was God's son. I believe he came to this earth. I believe he died on a cross. I believe he rose from the dead, right? They would tell you all these things that they believe about Jesus. But they misunderstood 
that believing in Jesus cognitively isn't the same as following after Jesus spiritually. And so like Nicodemus, they might have gone to church and read their Bible and prayed, but they weren't transformed. They weren't transformed because they knew a lot about Jesus, but they didn't follow him. And so what we see is that the Pharisee believes in Jesus, but he doesn't follow after Jesus, right? Like Nicodemus, he believes all the stuff about Jesus, at least for what Nicodemus knew at the time, but he didn't follow after Jesus. And so there's these things that they know, these things that they believe, this information that they would agree with, right? But they've never taken that step. Because they believe, but they don't follow. Let me tell you why this is so scary. Because what this means for people who tell me stories like the one I mentioned before, who thought they got it and they didn't. What this means is for so many times when they would go to youth group or they would go to a camp or they would go to church and the person speaking would tell them about Jesus. When he would tell them that because of our sin, we are separated from him. And that there's nothing we can do to change that. And when he encouraged them to choose to follow Jesus, to choose to give their life over to him, the entire time that he was speaking, there was a voice in their head. There was this voice in their head that was telling them, you don't need to listen to him. You already know this. Right? You've already said that prayer. You've already been baptized. You already know all this information. You know this because you believe in Jesus. And the reason this is so scary to me is that this voice convinced them that they got it, even though they didn't. This voice made them believe that because of that moment in middle school or because of the decision that they made as a kid, that them and God were good when actually they weren't. And even though they thought they were close with God, what they didn't realize is that they would have talked to Jesus, he would have said, depart from me because I've never known you. That's why that is so scary to me. Because they thought they got it, but they really didn't. Is of course, the million-dollar question becomes, how do we know that we've got it? Right? How do we know that we're truly following after Jesus? How do we know that we really have this relationship with him the way that we're supposed to? And this is what we have to remember. This is how we ignore the voice, and the, Pharisee, the voice of the Pharisee inside of us, is that following in Jesus is more movement than moment. Following Jesus is more movement than moment. Let's talk about that, right? Because so often in our lives, we hang our relationship with God because of a moment, because of a decision that we made when we were a kid, right? Because of a prayer that we said when we were in middle school, right? We hang it on a moment. But here's the problem with that. 
all those people who thought that they got it and they didn't could also hang their relationship with God in a moment because they also said a prayer. They were also baptized or they also did something that they could stamp in their life. And so what we see a moment is not a good measurement to whether or not we're actually following after Jesus. Instead, a better measurement is movement. And what I mean by movement is can you look at your life now and see that you're taking steps to look more like Jesus? Right here, right now, can you look at your life and based upon what you've done recently, are you seeing yourself looking like the person that you claim to follow? And this movement is a gradual process in our life. It's not perfection. It's a process. It's a gradual process where we're learning to forgive those who are constantly hurting us. It's this gradual process where we're learning to love God more than we love to sin. And it's this gradual process in our life where we're putting other people first because we actually really do care about them more than we care about ourselves. It's this gradual process in our lives where we're looking more like Jesus. And we're looking more like the person that we say that we follow because we haven't just been informed about him, but instead we've been transformed by him. So the assurance that we have in our life that we are a follower of Jesus isn't a moment that we've had in the past. Instead, it's movement that we see in our life right now. This gradual process of looking more like Jesus. Because following Jesus is more movement than moment. And so here's my challenge for us. And my challenge for us in the room tonight is to look at our lives and ask the question, is there movement? Is there movement in my life? Am I taking steps to look like the one I say I follow? Do I find this deep desire in my life to not not do what I want to do, but instead to do what God wants me to do, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's hard, because at the end of the day, I want to look more like him. Is it this process in our life where we find ourselves looking like the person who we say we belong to. Is there movement in your life? And if you're sitting here tonight and you realize that there's not, that you know all the information, right? You can quote all the scripture, you can say all the facts about Jesus, but if you're honest, you haven't really seen movement in your life. First off, show yourself grace. Because you can sit there and feel ashamed and feel embarrassed that you thought you had it for so long and you really didn't. But as I said before, this is a common theme that I see in people's stories. So there are a lot of people in this room who know exactly how you feel. So there's no room for shame here, right? You need to show yourself grace. And then you need to start following. You need to choose to start following Jesus with your life tonight. 
you choose to say, I'm no longer going on my own path. I'm no longer going on my own way. Instead, I'm choosing to follow you. God, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my life. And this is who I want to look like. And so I'm all in. I'm going. Because now I get what Jesus has done for me. is isn't just something I know, but something I've chosen to dedicate my life to following. And when you do this in your life, what you're going to notice is there might not be a lot of outward change in what you do, right? Because you've been doing these different things. Like reading your Bible and going to church. But what you are going to see is an inward motivational change. Because no longer do you feel like you have to do these things, but now you get to do these things. Now you want to do these things. Now you have a deep desire to pursue God. Because you want to follow after him. Because now you've been totally transformed. You've experienced a rebirth in your life because you get what it really means to follow after Jesus. And so tonight, what I want all of us to do and spend some time just praying and talking to God about is, is there movement in my life? And if there's not, start following today. So I'm going to pray for us. This, we did this like a few weeks ago. I'm going to pray for us. And then you guys take some time to pray. And the band's going to come up and they're going to sing. And then when you're ready, you choose to sing as well. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for stories like Nicodemus. Stories about guys who felt like they were pursuing God with their life. Who felt like they were doing everything that they were supposed to do and their pursuit of their calling. But then they had an encounter with Jesus where they realized they didn't get it. And so my prayer tonight, God, as we spend some time talking to you, that if there's anybody in this room who realizes that they're just like Nicodemus, that they know a lot about Jesus, but they've never been transformed by him, that they would choose to follow tonight that they would lay down their life to you, Lord, and they would let everything else fade away because you're a God who shows us grace regardless of how long we think we've had it. So right here, right now, God, hear us as we pray to you.